0: Yeah, a question I've had, you know, in the past. Um, oh, I don't know, in the past few months, it's it's been a, a question that I've had for uh, several years, especially as a, as a, as a pastor. Um, is this question of how do we grow a church? Uh, what is what does growth mean in a church? Uh, it's it's kind of just over the last several years, specifically here um, for me, this question has risen a lot in the last couple of months, um, and I think a lot of that is due to uh, reading. Ephesians. Um, I mean, there are a couple of things that we, we, we have here uh, that kind of cause uh, some issues uh, if we look in the book of Ephesians. We look at, at this, uh, what is it, chapter 3, verse 10. Chapter 3, verse 10. I, I came across this, you know, several times in the past, but, but specifically here a few months ago, and, and, and it sent me on this quest uh, to figure out how, what is growth Chapter 3, verse 10, "...so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places." I read that verse a few months ago, and I thought, holy cow, the purpose of the church is way bigger than I thought. <laughs> that, that the manifold wisdom of God is made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. I thought we were just, you know, converting a few people to Christ. This is something much bigger. And so I, I, I asked myself, as I've been reading again and again and again the book of Ephesians and studying it, uh, what is this kind of growth? What are we doing? This is our task to make known the eternal uh, truths of the gospel to people in every day so that the authorities in heaven and earth might know them as well. This is a big task. What are we doing with our church? How does this affect our, our, our growth? How does this affect our, our teaching? How does this affect our life? And it seems very, very, very Pro, uh, proclaiming, as though, as though making known the revealed mystery of God is made known. So we're, we're evangelizing. We're going out. We're, we're doing something very big here. But then I come to this other thing. Um, uh, it's in chapter, uh, what is it, 2, verse 21. And I read uh, that Paul is talking about um, this new life in Christ, this new people, this new way of being. And in, in chapter 2, verse 21, he says um, that we are being built, you know, on the foundation of the apostles, prophets, Christ, verse 21, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows, there's growth, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And I'm thinking, wow, this is all of us together growing in a holy temple of the Lord. But then I go back uh, what our text was last week, uh, which, uh, which Dave Foster had preached on. He used the word growth as well. In chapter 4, verse 15, it says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head who is Christ. I asked this question then. Uh, so, okay, if we're proclaiming and people are, are becoming Christians, uh, but then also we're talking about this growth that we're growing in, in depth, or I guess chapter four sounds like we're growing in height, we're maturing. What is it that we're supposed to be doing? How does that look? How do we balance that idea of maybe what I would call church growth, both in width and in depth, Now, there's a tension that happens in Ephesians. I feel like sometimes I read the, uh, the Bible and I think, oh, that's you know, a nice you know, literary piece of work that's an archaeological fact from a historical time and place. And I never think, yeah, they got the same problems that I got today. I just kind of always keep them in the back. So in Ephesus, all of these things are being said to a people who, who are trying to figure out more or less a church growth movement. Uh, the church is, is expanding like crazy, and, and it's expanding in, in a pagan culture. Ephesus is a port city in the Roman Empire. It was, it was, it was rich. It was dominant. It had its own Olympian. Uh, it had its own uh, uh, god there, Artemis, uh, and, and a huge religion around it. And so, uh, Paul knows from his experience that we get back in Acts that, that he goes and he proclaims against the pagan ways of, of Ephesus. And, and it causes a riot because people hate it, you know, when their culture is confronted and you say, you know, and you more or less Jesus juke them and say, your, your culture is terrible and Jesus is awesome. And, and that kind of happens here, but he's giving them truth. Uh, we just read today that the truth is in Jesus. So he's giving them what they need and it's causing some problems. Uh, and now he's writing back to these people and he's saying, well, how, what does the church look like? What is the task of this? I came and we had this huge... More or less, evangelistic rally. What, what are we going to do in our daily lives? You see, I'm not making this up. This is here in the book of Ephesians. Keeping that context, there, he, he's really pulling this out here. Uh, he says something to this effect. Um, in uh, in chapter three, he is going to uh, he's going to say. I'm uh, oh, sorry. the uh, The verse is uh, the mystery of God. He says, of this gospel, chapter 3, verse 7, of this gospel, I was made uh, made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of His power. He says, to me, though I am very least of all the saints, this grace was given to me. My job is to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. And these unsearchable riches of Christ, sorry, go back a little bit further here. Verse 6, he says, this mystery, these unsearchable riches of Christ, here is the mystery that I have been given to proclaim, is that The Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus. He says, the mystery is that the gospel is for everyone. So Gentiles is a word here. The Greek word for this is ethnos. It means like the nations. So I go out to all the nations, and the mystery is that it's not just us anymore. It's not just this little clique of Christians. It's not this little clique of Jews. It's to the whole nations, to the nations that they actually don't just get like, Told the gospel that they are fellow heirs; they will receive the same inheritance that you and I do. The nations will. This is the mystery: that they get the same thing as us. That they are members of the same body. That now there is no difference; we're all the same, and they are partakers in the promise of what of Christ Jesus. So he says that the mystery: you go out and bring them in. This is our task. This is the mystery. But then we get to the tension here because in our text today, and this is where we'll go, because in our text today, then Paul comes back and he says, so here's how we're going to (laughs) walk. Walk in a manner worthy, but then specifically says, but don't walk like the Gentiles. Bring them in, but don't walk like them. That causes me tension. That causes me problems. What do we do with that? Maybe if I translate this a little bit uh, uh, to some modern language. It seems as though Paul's understanding of this idea of church grows both by conversion and by what I would say equipping or discipleship and depth. But he's also saying, and it goes out, the scope is to everybody, but we're not going to be like everybody. Maybe here's one of the ways that, uh, that, that he, uh, maybe a different way of saying what he's reasoning here. He says, the blessings received by the gospel are now for The nations, for the Gentiles. However, that does not mean that the gospel has now become like the Gentiles. It is for the Gentiles. It is not shaped by the Gentiles. What do I mean by that? I'll just go very practically. I feel like, um, I don't feel like it. I read reports about this all the time. Uh, The American church really likes to use culture to to promote our own growth. uh, you may, uh, maybe not, maybe you're getting like the dark underside of church here, uh, so sorry if you are. It's a reality. There are a lot of times where we think uh, we can boost numbers, we can boost our, our people, we can boost our scope with business structures. Uh, now, there are common business practices that, that fall in line with, you know, common sense reasoning and how we do, you know, things, but uh, sometimes we, we overemphasize this idea of, of church as business and we get a whole bunch of, of CEOs to run this thing. Um, there's there's a, a well-known church back in the 90s that even started a leadership summit to teach leaders how to be leaders in the business context because business is where it's at. Uh, there's another way we go about this sometimes is we have entertainment. And so we want to entertain people. We, we, we pull from culture and we say, wow, it seems like there are a lot of followers online with, when you have entertainment. It seems like there are, there are huge masses buying tickets to all of these things when you have entertainment. I mean, we go home, and basically in the evening, we turn on the TV, and it's entirely entertainment. I mean, professional sports is entertainment, um, and, uh, and we go that way, and we try and leverage those in. See, what I hear Ephesians saying to us regarding the gospel and our walk is that we are to go out to the world, to, the, to to the world, into the world of entertainment, into the world of business, and invite them into the gospel. Not bring the world of bring the world of entertainment in, so that our gospel might be a little bit more businessy or attractive. There's this thing that Paul does when he talks about uh, any topic; he has so many different levels that he's thinking. He's talking about the church right now. What does the church do? So, unbelievers, this is not a thing. What do we as believers do? The church, to him, is this universal group of believers. For us today, it'd be Parkview specifically, our local church. And then he's going to go zoom in right now to individuals. If we are going to grow in size, grow in depth, in the way that the gospel wants us to grow, in the way we are directed, in the way that is walking in a manner worthy of who we are. He says this renewal of the whole church, of the whole culture, of the church, you know, local, Parkview, is going to start with little revivals, little renewals within our own hearts. And so that's where his focus is going to be. It has to start with you. And so he's going to talk us, walk us through this. He's going to say, the problem is not that you engage with your church in a weird way. The problem is not that you think about this thing or that thing in the wrong way. The problem is we haven't fully made Christ the point of our whole life. So I'm going to give you a little bit of structure on how we're going to go through this passage. He's going to diagnose a problem, offer a treatment, and then give you know, kind of the recommended you know, regimen of, of cure. So three ways to remember this. Uh, we'll go with point one is going to be, he's going to say, here's the problem. Uh, number two, he's going to say, here's the point, kind of as a, a way of recalibration, and then, uh, and then point three is he's going to say, uh, here's the process, the problem, the point, and the process to this big thing. We're going to look at this in Scripture where we need to be looking for our answers, and then we'll come back and kind of see what is this, how does this play out in all the mess that I just started in the last five minutes. <laughs> Ultimately. His urge is going to be that we walk as one, that you walk as one with renewed purpose, with the right renewed purpose that you have as a new creation. So, point one, the problem. This is verses 17 through 19. Point one is, uh, we want, uh, I guess, what do I put up here? Uh, The problem of cultural Christians. Yes, that's an easy way that fits on a slide to say it. The problem is that we want the benefits of Christ, but the pleasures of this world. I mean, how many times do we want that? We want the eternal truths of God. We want, we, want, we, want to, uh, we want to know that we're going to be saved forever, but we also know that that's going to cost us something in our discipleship today. So we kind of try and mend these, meld these things together. We want to have our cake, and we want to eat it too. This is exactly what Paul is going against. He's saying the gospel is for them, but they're invited into something new. You are a new thing, and so you got to let go of some of that other stuff. Not let it go. Put it to death in Colossians, or put it away here in our text. There are four ways that he diagnoses this problem. Uh, So here are the four ways. This has just come straight from the text. Uh, The four ways in which he's diagnosing this problem. He says uh, that you have feudal minds, or that the Gentiles, uh, the way of the world, feudal minds, darkened understanding, alienated life, and callous hearts. I'm just going to kind of walk through those uh, as we, uh, as we uh, work through the text. It says, so, in verse 17, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as Gentiles do. And here's the first point. In the futility of their mind. What is futility of their mind? Um, the uh, ESV study Bible says uh, futility is this. Futility is sometimes translated as Meaninglessness. And is used extensively in Ecclesiastes to describe the life apart from the fear of God. I love that way. It's d- used to describe the meaningless life apart from the fear of God. Not just a meaningless life. A meaningless, lo- meaningless life, which is also a life apart from God. Uh, in Ecclesiastes, the, the word for the, I think I've said this before, the word for uh, meaninglessness or vanity is smoke. It's hevo. It's smoke. It's just a puff. So all of their life, all of their plans, all of their strategies for for church growth, all of their strategies for discipleship and mission, all of these ideas, puff. Because when we bring the world in to drive the church in, not the gospel, puff. It's just smoke. It says similarly, Paul in Romans writes of those who knew God but did not honor or give thanks to God. And so they became futile in their thinking. There are many ways that we, we may think we may go to, um, you know, our, uh, our, our marriage is, is, is rough, our, our parenting is rough, and we may go to all these, these ways. You know, counseling is a big thing. I, I, I'm not an advocate of counseling, but I'm an advocate of biblical counseling, because if you don't go with biblical counseling, you're going to get puffs of smoke, and, and it's always going to be patching a problem, uh, patching a symptom, and you're never going to get to the root cause. The root cause is, more or less, you and I have nasty hearts. <laughs> And if we don't get to that point, and that nasty heart is only mended and cured by the blood of Christ. like If, the, if we don't get to that part, we're just futility of mind. We're just solving symptoms, and we're never actually treating uh, the problem. So it's just futility of mine. Now, I'm not, I, I want to be cautious to say, I don't think counseling is bad. I don't think medicine is bad. I don't think business is bad. I don't think entertainment is bad. I'm not saying that. I don't want to be the guys like sitting here like hating on the world. I'm just saying, be cautious as we are growing in Christ, that we are growing because of Christ and by the way of Christ and by the example of Christ, we're going to get to that and be very cautious that we're not doing that unintentionally with other motives in mind or with other influences or voices in mind. There is a purity of the gospel that only remains pure when it's purely the gospel. Okay, then this next thing. So they have feudal minds, uh, then they're darkened in their understanding. Now this idea of understanding is uh, this uh, maybe uh, another way to say it is perception. Uh, the perception. So uh, there may be three categories of knowledge. I don't know. This is my just rough draft of, of, of knowledge categories. There's this idea of knowledge. It's the facts. So, you know, when you're young, you're learning the facts. Um, and then you kind of move on to this idea of understanding, uh, which is then like connecting the dots between all the facts. How do these facts work in an environment together? And then you have this idea of wisdom, uh, which is then how does this connect, how do these connections play out for the best life? So you have knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. I think it's sometimes helpful to separate those a little bit. And so he's saying they're darkened in their understanding. They get some of these ideas here, but they're not making the right connections. Here's why they're not making the right connections. Because it's like you throw a whole bunch of kites up in the air and you don't have anything to hold them down. What is that anchor? If you don't have Christ, if you don't actually believe that Christ is fully God, fully man, the only one who can forgive sins, I know that sounds bizarre, but if that's not your anchor and that's not your interpretive lens through which you put all of these pieces together... They're all going to be more or less throwing a bunch of, I don't know, a bunch of scrabble pieces in and shaking up and see what comes out. It, you just got a bunch of loose facts that never have a real anchor. You got to set them somewhere. And so they're darkened in their understanding. Their, their worldview is off. How many times have you uh, read a book or heard someone speak or, or saw someone on TV or whatever it is, and you say, like, you are so close to the gospel. I mean, maybe we don't even have the chops to do that. Uh, maybe we, you, you are saying something that's really good. You're saying something that's, that's, that's inspiring me. For some reason, I'm, I'm not sure if this is sustainable. I'm not sure if this is just, um, oh, I'll get to the point. Uh, we're in Iowa, and caucuses were a big thing. How many times did you hear an argument that said, like, we have something more sustainable than let's just win the election? We're getting to a point where we want a king. We want a ruler. But we never get a promise of, like, and then there will be eternal peace forever. We get pretty close, and everyone's using a gospel language, but I mean political language. They're presenting a gospel. I am the good news. Uh, If we don't take what's there, if we don't have Christ, then we have darkened understanding. We just have an off view. Your kid will do best if you discipline them well, and they achieve high grades. Those are nice things and fruits of good children, I guess. Is that really where we're going? If you don't have that, you're going you're gonna to be off. If you don't have that understanding, they have a darkened understanding. So I'm trying to show how you and I are very similar in ways and maybe unintentionally walking in the waters of, of, of the Gentiles, of the ethnos, of the, of the nations, even though we are people who I would say more or less say, yeah, I am a Christian. The question Paul's asking is, so why don't you live like that? So let's continue on here. There are two more. Uh, alienated from the life of God. I'm going to skip over this, uh, and, and come back to it. Alienated from the life of God, uh, of the ignorance uh, because of the ignorance in them, due to the hardness of their heart. I feel like if we understand what the hardness of heart is, then we can come back and understand this a little bit more. So sorry if you're a note taker, you got to skip some lines and. Uh, and, and, and then we'll get to callous heart. They have been, verse 19, they have, been, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality and greed, uh, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. So this is uh, uh, the verb that occurs here uh, uh, in the New Testament means, uh, so the callous heart, uh, or they've become callous. It means to lose the capacity to feel shame or embarrassment. Lose the capacity. Say, my dad was a, um, he was a construction worker for most of his life, uh, doing all kinds of different stuff. Worked outside throughout, you know, in Nebraska and cold winters like we have here. Um, and, uh, and his hands were like, I think his hands were just like entirely calloused. Um, like he just didn't wear gloves. Like he was just so tough. And maybe I'm soft, I'm way softer than he was. Um, uh, play guitar. I play guitar for five minutes, and I'm like, ooh, calluses, and it, and it hurts. Or maybe, you know, in a couple of months, we're all going to be like, let's get outside and do, do our yard work, and you go put, like, one good day in with a shovel, and then your hands are just, like, shot. Come on. And we're like, okay, we're suburbia. We're super soft. We don't actually get callous hands too so much. Uh, so we get that. So what happens is your body's defense is, like, trying to, like, shield itself from the pain. Uh, to lose the capacity to feel shame or embarrassment. When our hearts become callous, it's not so much that we're just evil sinners looking like, you know, devils and trying to, like, be against the Christians. Like, that's, that's not what I'm saying. It's that, that inner way of, like, deflecting, diverting away from the pain. How many of you had, or, or, or right now, let's just go right now. I know you have it. You have something with somebody else. There's something not right. Whether it's your spouse, whether it's your kid, whether it's your friend, whether it's a coworker. You got something that's not there. And it's kind of more almost like you pretty much suspect it's at a sin level maybe on your part. If we just callous that, we won't feel that guilt and shame and we can kind of keep going. That's the only way that you can do that, right? It's the only way you can ignore the awkwardness of the Spirit convicting you is to callous yourself to it and move. When we do that, verse 19 says, the callous heart will then give themselves up to sensuality. It's the only way that we can keep on saying, Christ is Lord. Sunday morning was fantastic. Did you hear that sermon? Sunday evening, I'm back into my sin. And it's the only way that we can not simply be given to sensuality, but be greedy to practice every kind of impurity. To actually think, you know what? That might be pleasing to me. I'm going to go do that. Why are you doing that? Uh, maybe maybe it's just at a softer level. Maybe it's that thing where you're like, you know that uh, Facebook or you know that a television show is going to, to build up the, the fires of lust. Like, why don't we just go there? Just a little, I'm okay. I'm not all the way there. But all of a sudden now you're greedy. Now you're like fostering that. Oh, or maybe you are a person who um, who, who is prone to gossip, but you don't know you're prone to gossip. Um, uh, maybe maybe just a nice filter is if it's not your news, don't share it. Because then you just feed that gossip. Uh, If it's not a person you're talking to, if it's not their news, don't ask them. Ooh, that all of a sudden now sets me back into sensuality and greedy to practice every kind of impurity. That puts me somewhere else. We do this, and how do we get there? How how can I possibly just throw my buddy under the bus slanderously, or slanderously, if I don't at least have some element of callous heart? If I'm throwing a soul and an image bearer of God under the bus saying, you have to be callous for that. Okay, and now I'm just going to say it. That man is you and me. We do this all the time. And he's saying, this is what Paul is saying. This, this is why we get to, uh, oh, oh, man, I mean, I want to jump, but uh, we got to go back. As I said, I would go back to alienated from the life of God. This, this line at the end of verse 18 binds the head and the heart together to create a full human being. You are a new self in your mind and in your heart. He says you're alienated from the life of God. Why? Because of the ignorance that is in them. Their minds are dark, right? They they have dark minds. And due to the hardness of the heart, and their hearts are callous. When we walk like that, that that binds them together, and it gives us what? What is that? Alienation from God. If if, If you understand the logic of the gospel, sin is real. You are a sinner. Christ forgives sin through faith alone. The answer. So have faith in Christ for forgiveness of sins. Logically, that flows, and it holds. And you can read it a billion times over a logically or a a, a historical, reasonable document through logical arguments. Like logically, the whole gospel checks out. Then we go to experience or a heart. I am so dang hungry for someone to just speak a, a word of worth to me. I am so discouraged. I'm so, I'm so, I'm so uh, guilt, uh, guilty, and, and, and I feel such a sense of shame of, the, of my past, of what I've done. Okay, you and I can feel some of that stuff, and we feel it come up over and over again. I am hungry for someone who can help me. I want that king. Our mind and our hearts are screaming at us, you need Jesus Christ. You need the gospel. You need a better gospel, better than business, better than consumerism, better than uh, entertainment. Better than psychology, you need the gospel. Because if you don't have the gospel, it's your, the way, the truth, and the life. It's your only way that you won't be alienated from life and God. So that's kind of how all that binds together. So as not to only sound hellfire and brimstone, I think we need to, you know, hit hard Let's turn the corner here because Paul is, I'm preaching the way Paul does. He gets really fiery at this point. This is kind of the climax of his tone if you read it this way. The climax of his tone hits here in verse 20. He says, "He says, don't walk like these guys. You're a part of them, but don't go back to the former ways. They're futile in their minds. They're darkened in their understanding. They're alienated from life and God. They, are, um, they have callous hearts. And then he gets to this point. It's like he's screaming, here is the point, point two of the sermon. Here is the point, verse 20, but that is not the way you learn Christ. Now, quick Bible tip. Let's ask questions, good questions of the Bible. That seems like a very odd turn right there. That's not exactly maybe where I w- the next line I would have written. Two quick questions come off of that, which is basically where the sermon is developed from. Question one. If that's not the way I learned Christ, then how did I learn Christ? I guess maybe another question before that is, did I even learn Christ? <laughs> or was I consumer-inspired into something that felt Christian more culturally because everyone else was doing that, and I never actually realized I needed Jesus? <laughs> hmm. How did I learn Christ? And then maybe this one is maybe more for devotional, uh, and I'll, I'll develop it a little bit more as we go. Um, and the sermon is then, he says, but that is not the way you learn Christ. It is disjunctive. He is separating from it. He's saying the way you learn Christ is very different than futility and darkness, uh, and, darkness and alienation and, and callousness. And so, then I mean, we maybe need to ask, then how is the gospel different to that? I'm going to provide some options, you know, maybe some recommendations of how that might, uh, that might be the case. But he says, but that's not how you learn Christ. And then he makes an assumption. I love it when people give their assumptions. Verse 21. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him. I'm convicted. If someone sits here at Parkview North Campus, is it safe to assume that they've heard Christ? I feel like it, yeah. If Parkview North Campus does something maybe more called the everyday life, (laughs) we're out in our workplace, we're out in our schools, we're out uh, in, in, in whatever it is, out in you know, uh, the mall, uh, wherever it is, are people hearing Christ? Do we live in a way that Paul could assume that we've heard about Christ? Do we live in a way that Paul could assume that, we've, uh, that we were taught in Christ? I think that happens, but that's the point that he's making. You learn Christ and so let's look at how we learned Christ. And then he gets to the big point, the big foundational reality that is the center of this text, that is, is the point and the pattern of all we do as Christians, is all we do as a church, is how we grow, how we come to faith, how we, how we become uh, an even better uh, church uh, in, in the holiness and righteousness of God. Verse 22, the very end of that, uh, or uh, right after that that phrase there, he says, as the truth is in Jesus. Uh, maybe circle that phrase like 900 times. The truth is in Jesus. Why are all these strategies of church, gro- church growth fleeting? Because they don't have Jesus as the truth. They have this common sense practicality of, of, of mankind. Why are, are any endeavors that we maybe do as a church um, maybe fleeting? Because why don't they, 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 they grow? Why don't we show fruit in this? Because if we don't put Jesus Christ as the truth... That we need in our everyday life, then we're off to where it is. So, my big question is uh, we're off from where we are directed to be. So, how is Christ the point of this passage specifically? I think that Christ is the point as truth is in Jesus. In Jesus, darkened minds are enlightened because Jesus is the foundational reality. Salvation through faith is that reality, and darkened minds that are given that so they can have an understanding. Alienated souls, we read this in chapter 2, the end of chapter 2, the alienated souls are brought near to the loving God and eternal life. Uh, The callous heart is softened through discipline and confession, through the truth, the salvation, the sanctification made real in Christ. Why is this, why is Jesus Christ the point? Because he is the foundational reality. That's what everything in Ephesians has been building up to. So then maybe, um, how does Christ resource me for the task of living a new life every day? I think that's a great question to ask. So many times I hear, you're a Christian, go be Christ, go image Christ, go reflect, reflect Christ in the world. And I always, like me, sarcastically, even as I'm preaching, I'm like, yeah, how are you going to do that? Um, here are four ways uh, that Christ and the gospel counter those four points that we just talked about that the Gentiles still keep in their maybe cultural Christianity. So, the first point, going against a callous heart. I'm going to work backwards. Christian, uh, Christ provides Christian confidence. A callous heart has confidence in self. I can do this. I can will this. I can stick this out. It's a little awkward. I'm going to move on. But Christ provides a Christian confidence, and that Christian confidence comes from confession. We confess that we are in need of Christ. We confess that we're empty. In my weakness, you are strong. That's something we need. That's different. No paradigm is going to give us, is going to give us that. Uh, number two, uh, we're alienated from life in God. Christ brings Christian community, not just community, where we get together and we enjoy things together. Because it's that deep koinonia, that partnership, that, that, that thick fellowship that's, that's in relation of our, of our hearts and our souls, that we have an eternal destiny and we talk about that playing out. That's different. You can't have that kind of community without Christ and without everybody having Christ. So that, that that goes against. That's how Christ, uh, the truth of Christ, changes our calloused hearts to soft ones, because it gives us Christian confidence. It's how uh, the truth of Christ changes our uh, our, our community or our our, um, our alienation by bringing us into a Christian community. Uh, the truth of Christ changes our, uh, our, our our understanding, our dark understanding, by giving Christian clarity. Jesus is the cornerstone. Jesus is the foundation. The manifold wisdom of God, Ephesians 1:10, is that a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. All of those parts of your knowledge that you're learning have got to find their unity in Christ. or you'll never have that understanding, and there's no chance that your walk will be seasoned with wisdom. Christ changes our futile minds smoke like vanity by giving us Christian purpose. Your life is not in vain. There is a purpose and that'll be point three then the process. Uh, the process is going to be this, this working out of a futile life so that it's not futile so that it is with purpose. The process we get is simply this put off be renewed put on. Seems pretty simple. Put off be renewed put on. I really want to focus on this idea of renewal uh, because this is kind of where it all sits, but I do want to read all of these verses, so we'll start uh, at put off in verse 22. Assuming you have heard about him and were taught in him to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. So put that off. That's not you. You were of the nations. You came to Christ, a new way of life, and so leave that old way. It's going to be different. Christianity is not exclusive in that we are, we, are, we are against the world. It's exclusive in that it says, we got a whole different way of operating here. So come be a part of this. Put away the old self. We have a new way of operating. And he says, then be renewed in the spirit of your minds. I'll, I'll clear this one up. I really want to focus on renewed and renewal. Um, there's a scholarly debate of how the grammar in this, this verse goes. Uh, but just to clear it up, is the mind is being renewed by the Spirit. And to be renewed in the Spirit, be renewed in the Spirit, and then you kind of take out in the Spirit, be renewed of your minds. The Spirit is renewing your minds. So that's how it goes. Even to the word that's being used there for renewal, it speaks of a new mind. We get this in Colossians 3, uh, 9 through 10. Paul writes this a little more clearly for us. Uh, You can follow along on the screen. You have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. There, that's so sweet. Uh, you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. So, I'm going to maybe borrow a different word than renewed just to help us understand renewed. Uh, it's going to be maybe this idea of recycled because um, that's, I feel like, a very practical, tangible way to understand this, this process of renewal. Um, so, I'm going to go with uh, a, a milk carton or a milk jug, a gallon milk jug, whatever that is, uh, and then a toothbrush. So, those are pretty simple. Um, it's almost as though he's saying you're a milk jug. The old way, you're a milk jug. What is the purpose of a milk jug? To carry milk, right? Uh, okay, so we're good. Um, you get done with that milk, right? And then we, we, we recycle it. It goes through this process It's kind of painful. Uh, It's kind of hot. It's kind of melty. Uh, It gets there. And then we have a new creation toothbrush. What is the purpose of a toothbrush? It's to carry milk. Wait, no, it's to brush your teeth. And so Paul is saying here why? Would you, in your former way of living, be this new self with the, or this old self with a purpose to carry milk? Why would you then go through this process of faith, engaging with the eternal God who has a plan for you to unite all things together for forgiveness of sin, to, be, to, uh, to become the church, to reveal the manifold wisdom of God? Why would you go through this intense process and then come out as a new creation, growing into a temple that is Christ? And then why would you go about as, as a, uh, a toothbrush and decide that we're going to go carrying milk? It's that dumb and silly and illogical to Paul. That's the reality that he's on. Americans today, we just don't, myself included, we don't operate at this level of thinking theoretically as though it's it's practical. Paul sees the theory of the gospel and says immediately this is practical. And so it kind of sounds weird when we say something like the old self, the new self. Paul has seen it as low, common sense, common man kind of language, milk jug, Toothbrush, you're not that anymore. So be this. Let's go with this purpose. It's that clear to him, and that's how clear it needs to be for us. But what is the purpose then of the toothbrush? Can't be to go away from that. That's just ridiculous. Um, uh, (laughs) The toothbrush gospel. There we go. I'll write a book on it. Um, The toothbrush. I also have trademark for that because I just said it and made that up, so no one else gets credit for that one. Uh, The uh, uh, so he says, put off your old self. And be renewed uh, with the new self, which is, here's the purpose of us now as the renewed person, as the new man, verse 24, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. What is our purpose? To reflect the image of God. That's it. And that, in that way, I I would say every analogy is going to fall short somewhere. Recycling helps us with the old and the new self. Maybe this idea of going back to our intended purpose is maybe one of maybe restoration could take you there. We, we were created as an image God with a purpose of reflecting God's image rightly. We have bunged it up. I don't even know if that's terminology, but we'll go with it. We've bunged it up so much that then now we need to be restored. Polish, 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 restoration, fix a thing here too. <gasps> You're the image of God. Do that, okay? Here's round two. Do that now. And that image of God is Christ. And why will that take us further than any other kind of church growth or any other kind of thought or any other kind of way of discipling or any other kind of of church outreach or any other kind of worship service? Why will that kind of image, reflecting the image of Christ, why will that take us farther than anything? Because he says right here, truth is in Jesus. That's why. Because that's the one that's, gonna, that's been tested by the fire. That's the one that has died on the cross. That's the one who has been here before the existence of time and will be here bef- will be after the existence of time. He is the one who has tried and tested and true and better and lovelier and more beautiful than anything else. Go with that one. Now let's try and do that one again. O oh, believing toothbrushes of God. One commentator uh, speaks of it kind of this way. He says it's a recovering of the mind's proper function. We're renewed by the Spirit in our minds, which then speaks to. I basically have only been preaching the passage, uh, uh, the verse uh, Romans twelve two. Do not be conformed to this world, though you came from the world. You believe, do not be conformed to it, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect and then we get to the rest of the process. Put off, be renewed, and put on, and then to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, I'm going to give three insanely practical uh, uh, bits of uh, recommendation for you off of this. How do we go about this process? This process needs to be for us. If we're ever going to uh, renew the sense of the church. If we're ever going to uh, renew the sense of the culture, if we're ever going to have a gospel uh, awakening or reawakening of, of Christ for, for the people in our, in our neighborhood, in our county, in our world, if we're ever going to have that, it starts at all these little revivals of the individual. And these little revivals of the individual may have this kind of a rhythm. To put off, to be renewed, and to put on. And you can do this in your daily life. Put off, be renewed, and to put on. Here are some ways that we could do this. Uh, One, uh, we have this expression that we've used up here, meet somebody, know somebody. I'm going to flip that a little bit. Uh, Meet somebody is just to get to know them. Know somebody is actually know them as a person. Maybe it's going to be meet yourself, know yourself. If you've been listening at all, I've just introduced you to yourself, (laughs) your new self. This is who you are in Christ. So you can know that, and if you don't have faith, that's not you, you're still in the old self. If you have not confessed your sin, and express faith in Christ for the forgiveness of sin, you, you are still in the old self, the feudal way, the smoke, the vapor. You're, that's you. If you have faith in Christ, you're over, you're over at the side of the new self, the one who is reflecting the image of God, who has an eternal future that is glorious. So then know yourself. Know yourself these ways. If you're reflecting Christ, you need to know who Christ is. You need to look deeply into the words, the actions, the emotions of Christ. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and ask, what is Jesus doing? Where is his heart? What is his purpose? What's going on? And how is he showing me how to live? But when you read it, don't just simply read over and say, oh, he must, you know, want me to feed people with miraculous signs of of, of fish. Don't simply read it or listen to the Bible. You need to study it. You need to meditate it. Uh, in, the book of John, uh, in the book of Revelation, uh, one of the angels, he says, he, he says to, to John, he says, eat this scroll. Eat this thing. Digest it. Chew on it. You're not going to swallow it in one, one whole thing unless you have an incredible uh, 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 moment in your, in your spiritual life. But if you're like everybody else, it's going to take chewing. You're going to have to dice, uh, di- uh, cut it up a little bit. You're going to have to look at it. At some pieces they digest quickly. Others, they kind of sit. You don't have to eat it all in one bite. In fact, in preparation for the sermon, I've been been chewing on this phrase, this futility of their minds all week. Like, I I prepared a sermon, but that piece there, like, that one is just not digesting well. Futility of their mind. And what what do I do that is just a puff of smoke? I've just been on it um, all week. So do that. Just grab those phrases and chew on them. What do you mean by this? Then look in the Bible. those words. Uh, Know yourself. Meet yourself. Know yourself. And then here's where you, you look into the image that you're supposed to be, but then you look at yourself. Where are you at right now? Do an audit of your life, your relationships, your conversations, your thoughts, your activity. Am I doing what Christ is doing? Am I imaging Him? Am I reflecting who He is? Don't callous your heart at that point. Because you're going to have to receive some pain in that one. <laughs> it's always painful when you compare yourself to Christ. But it's for your good. It's for your growth. So that would be, a, that would be one uh, recommendation there. Meet yourself, know yourself. Get into Jesus. Get into the Word. Assess your life, honestly. Assess it with others. Okay, and then uh, the second recommendation of three. Uh, is to fight forgetfulness with remembering. Uh, There's a word in the Old Testament. uh, There's a word in our hymns. Uh, The word is Ebenezer. Uh, Eben in Hebrew, eben, means uh, stone, and ezer means remember. Ebenezer, a stone of remembering. These are are markers that create remembering. So in your words, uh, something as simple as sticky note on the mirror or on the dashboard or on your computer monitor. Uh, There's one that I write. Uh, that I write, is uh, 1 Corinthians 2.2. When I'm in meetings, I have to check myself, and I have to look at that and say, put off the old self. Uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 2.2 says, uh, I I resolve to know nothing except Christ. Pause. Am I going to promote something of Christ? Put on the new self? More often than not, I just remain silent in the meeting. (laughs) And it's great to do. Put those kind of things in your life. Put things on your, in your workplace. Put things, uh, put things in, your, in your kitchen. Wherever it would be that you remember what is the image of God, what is your purpose, where you are to go. Uh, maybe in your actions. So if it's not just reading things or hearing things. Maybe in your, in your actions. Um, this idea of renewal. Uh, one for me that I've been trying out, I don't know if it's going to stick, uh, is, is uh, going to the recycling bin. If I'm thinking I'm a recycled creation, at that point, just walking. It's just a little bit, you know, every day take a little recycling out, take the whole thing out to the curb, to do a prayer in the midst of that. God, help me put off. Help me put on. Renew me. Help me relive, live with this renewed purpose. And maybe it's, uh, you know, somewhat of a uh, fight forgetfulness with remembering. Maybe some of those Ebenezers in your life. Maybe it's a recycle bin. Maybe it's a sticky note. Uh, Maybe it's just your emotions. Emotions are really good. Those are probably the best ones to, uh, to give us that sign. When you feel something, when you feel anger, when you feel despair, when you feel confusion, when you feel whatever it is, those things, rather than uh, turn to the person next to you and say, blah, 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 blah. Maybe just turn to God and say, I got one here, God. I need you to help me with. I'm putting on. I'm living in the old way. I'm an angry old milk jug. <laughs> I really got to remember the toothbrush. Anger is in that list, uh, and though it's not a sin, it's a red flag of pride. You know, when you feel angry, though there, though there may be merit to your anger, there's almost always your nasty heart worshiping itself at the source. Milk jug. So, and, and these are just a few lists. Uh, if you have any other thoughts that have been helpful for you, any Ebeneezers, any stones of remembering, any ways that you remember, I'd love to just have some more of these so I can share them with others as well. Uh, post them, uh, Text me, call me, tell me after the service. I'm always trying to get these because I feel like we could just live a life with Ebeneezers and we're just walking around in the biblical truths of God. What if North Liberty was that place where you walked around and every block you had something and you said, this is how it speaks of God in me. This is how it speaks of God in me. Okay, and third point of three. Um, fight a consumer, uh, consumerist notion that we are followers with a creative approach to discipleship. Rather than consume, you're a disciple, so rather think that you are just following and getting everything you can. Shift our minds to create disciples. It's this idea of apprenticeship. I think it's such a beautiful thing. You're an apprentice no matter if you want to be or not right now. Uh, so an apprentice, you know, you have someone who's down the road a ways, working on some stuff, and they're doing their thing. they are I'll just use the language of Ephesians. They're walking in a way that their job entails, and they do this over and over and over, and they see these things. And there are things that they know, and there are senses that they have because they've been in it so long, that they just, they just kind of do these things. And you'll never learn those things by reading a book in isolation, you got to kind of be in there and see this wisdom kind of played out. Boom, boom, boom. And then the apprenticeship comes on, and all that happens is you keep doing this thing, and you say, hey, you, just stand right here, and I'm going to talk out loud how this is happening. That's it. Sometimes we think that we have to have this, like, leadership track of discipleship. that's just like, there's all this, like, knowledge that dumps in our brain and all these tests and experience and business. (laughs) The way that Jesus does this is he gets these angsty 12 teenagers, and it's a train wreck. And they get the gospel. He's just doing his thing. Sometimes he has to take a break from them. Sometimes he has to rebuke them. Sometimes it doesn't go so well. Sometimes people die and then come back to life. And he's got these guys right here. So we're at a good spot. I'm going to read this and wind it down here. Um, Put off the old self. Put on the new self. So even though I say toothbrushes, I'm seriously going to get North Campus toothbrushes after this sermon. Um, I hand them out to all of you. Uh, the, uh, this is what we do. This is what we're supposed to be doing. It's just a simple, everyday kind of thing. It's taking these, these glorious truths of chapters 1 through 3, and they're enormous, into our everyday life as we just do those things. Be faithful and do this. So there's a book, excellent book, by Jared Wilson called The Gospel-Driven Church. It's phenomenal. Uh, I'm actually going to read in the foreword, um, J.D. Greer, he's the president of the uh, Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, He writes uh, this paragraph in here. He's kind of setting this whole thing up, and he writes this, and I think this actually really applies to this new walk we have in Christ. He says, a gospel-driven church cares about width and depth. Churches that grow deep without growing wide are probably not as deep in Jesus as they think. Because Jesus came to seek and save the lost. In the same way, churches that grow wide without growing deep are probably not as wide as they think because heaven counts disciples, not decisions. A church's ultimate impact is not only measured by the disciples it makes, but in making disciples who make disciples. Uh, this year, I'm, I'm I'm really excited for North Campus. Um, as I view these things, this text, this book, um, so the history of Parkview has been has been uh, of, of of Parkview North Campus has been that about two years ago, uh, Heartland Community Church became the North Campus, and this in itself was an act of mission to the world. Parkview would extend its mission to North Liberty, and we in our daily meeting are carrying out that mission. My prayer, uh, my, my, my uh, I don't know what it is, my, my, my anxiety, my hope, my, my excitement, that's probably yet that excitement, that's always me, um, is that we wouldn't just fulfill the mission by meeting and growing deep. That does check a box. To the overall Parkview mission. But the North Campus would actually be making converts, making disciples who make disciples from our neighbors who aren't here today. This is one of the motives of why I've asked over the last couple of years, or a couple of weeks, to be praying for someone who's in this church and praying for someone who's not in this church. It's because we aren't doing enough. That's not right. We aren't doing what we're called to do, we aren't walking the way that Ephesians is telling us to walk if we are not growing in our our creation of disciples. If you are a believer, you need to be making disciples. If you are coming to this church, you need to be looking at how we can uh, uh, bring others into this discipleship process. And when I say bring others, I'm very careful not to say convert people to Christianity, but that's kind of what I mean. Because this is what we should be doing. So, uh, so one of the opportunities, I love it, because uh, uh, he's got it on his mind. Uh, Clint texted me a picture of a poster that uh, I'll, I'll send out to, uh, to you guys next week, next Sunday, and we'll have the in-home potlucks. A great way to, in your in-home potlucks, talk about how we're going to do this here in North Liberty. A great way to do this. I mean, you can get to know each other as well. But also, how do we strategically go out and do this thing naturally? But also after that, I think it's like 2.30 tomorrow, uh, uh, next week, there is a, a, a group of nonprofits that need volunteers in North Liberty that want people like us to come and bring them something. Now we could fill it stock full of people who don't know Christ, and the job gets done, and the beggars come back for food. Or we could fill it with people to build a relationship to give them the bread of life. If we fill those volunteer things with Christians, man, we have such an opportunity to naturally, I mean, you just go you know, to, uh, to a food pantry, you go to Blues and Barbecue, you go to help out with a running event, you build that collateral, that relational collateral with your, uh, with your community, with our community, and you become that pleasing aroma for Christ. And then when they ask, you may have a defense for the gospel. This is all part of what's happening here. So uh, I just want to like, use this as a text to leverage us toward an energetic mission. We have a blessed hope that Christ will return, and it should foster us to this. So, I want this to be where we're at. How do we walk? We don't walk by just making up these designs here or there. We don't walk by entertaining people, by just making culture seem a little more Christian. We grow in size by giving people the truth of Christ. We grow in depth by going through this process daily of putting off the old self, of being renewed in our minds, and of putting on the new self. So, the point that Paul is making is he says, and I urge you to walk as one with renewed purpose. You have a purpose to bring Christ to the world, to bring that glorious hope and the deep conviction that there is a God, He is real, and He wants us to live with Him forever. How many more people can we have life in God with? Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. <laughs> I, I don't even have the mind to comprehend half the stuff I just said because it's so beyond me. It's, it's fantastic. Only a few verses of, of your revealed will and it is, uh, it is compelling. It's exciting. It's terrifying and totally not the way I would have designed it. I pray that you give all of us humility to follow it, that you give us conviction to pursue it, that you give us comfort. Most of all, that you just purify us. That you just pull out all of our all of our wrong, all of our nastiness, all of our greed, all of our comfort, all of our consumerist tendencies that our culture so intensely and 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 subtly and and intricately weaves into every day of our life. Please help us remember that we are not the savior. We are simply giving people access and truth and clarity. To the one who saves. I pray that you would make uh, Parkview North Campus just a shining light of hope, of refuge, of conviction, of encouragement in North Liberty. Please guide our steps this way. Soften our hearts, enlighten our minds, that so we might be able to grasp the very practical reality of living out the way of Christ, of walking in a manner worth walking in our everyday life.